Welcome to Apaga University. I'm Inga. And I'm Julie. We are two entrepreneurs who have built an in-home care business from the ground up, guided every step of the way by God's care and fueled by agape love. 16 years later and over 100 podcast episodes already under our belts, we invite you to continue on this journey with us as we share stories that resonate, insights that inspire, and practical guidance that empowers you to face any obstacle along this path. Whether you're a professional caregiver, a family member, or are simply curious about what your steps will be when you need them, you have come to the right place. Oh, hey, and while you're here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And after that, make sure you send this to a friend. Yes, do it. All right, we'll quit fooling around and get to it. Let's go. Class is in session. Hello, sunshines, and hello, Julie. Well, how, how are you? Well, I'm kind of not settled in my seat yet, but oh. I'm, I'm, now I'm good. I'm, I'm great. Perfect. <laughs> Y'all situated. Yes. So winter. Winter. What's your favorite part? Oh, when it's over. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, I, I, we need winter. I come from an egg background. I totally understand that we must have it. But when you work on a farmer or ranch, all it really means to me is a lot more work. Yes. And, and, and so it's perfectly selfish on my part because so many people, they, they love to get out there and do that. And I just don't like to be cold. Um, so yeah, I, I love when spring comes around. <laughs> Same. Same. I tolerate the winter because I don't like the bugs that go along with like warmer climates. Yeah. That's Although I, we were working in the basement the other day and the spider had to ruin it. It was going <laughs> so well. And then out of nowhere, this gigantic spider dropped down from the ceiling. Kevin was on the ladder. I apparently overreacted. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine that. <laughs> and it was spider. this big, I'm sure. Huge. Yes. Huge. This uh, almost took my life oh boy that I'm was not, scary like spiders anyway so that's why winter for me yes because <laughs> the bugs are smaller the bugs are smaller <laughs> cool um I think we should just go right into our verse of the week and today we have for you three John one two beloved I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul Tell me why you picked this one, Julie. I picked this one because it talks about health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And um, our speaker, who we haven't told you who it is yet, <laughs> um, is all about that. And so I thought of her when I picked this verse. I Just love because it. her whole mission in life is to help us be as healthy as we can. Oh, that is fantastic. I am pretty sure every day she's like, help me help you. <laughs> Listen to my words of wisdom. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, if our listeners out there, if you have a verse that you'd like to share with us, please email those to the caregiven podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If it's um, something that has meaning, tell us your story that goes along with it. Or if it's just some a verse that you love, just send it and we'll put our own interpretation <laughs> on things. <laughs> you want to start us out with your uplifting story, Julie? Put on my spectacles. <laughs> so make a spectacle of yourself, oh, Julie. Always, always. <laughs> so um, this is uh, about a gal who uh, said she was a nervous wreck as I waited for surgery on my ruptured disc. Although I endured intense, intense pain in my leg for months, I'd put off going to the doctor. I was terrified he'd tell me I needed an operation. I can't believe you waited so long, he chided me as I finally went. Your leg is bothering you because a disc in your back is pressing on a nerve ending. We'll schedule surgery for next week. Even after I explained every detail of the procedure to my husband, Dave, and I, I was still a nervous wreck. I prayed for comfort all the way into the nurse uh, operating room until the anesthesia took effect. When I came into the 
recovery room afterwards, I didn't know where I was or why a nurse hovered over me. My vision was so foggy I could barely make out Alice on the nurse's name tag, and her face was a blur. But her voice comforted me. Did everything go okay, I asked weakly. Alice took my hand, saying your operation was successful. The ruptured disc has been removed. I spoke to your husband, and he will be up in a minute. She smiled as she stroked my hand, and I drifted off to sleep, soothed and relieved. When I awoke, Dave was sitting on the edge of my hospital bed. I was so glad to see him. After I repeated repeated everything Alice had told me, I noticed his puzzled expression. Suddenly, it dawned on me that I had understood everything she'd said, down to the last detail. You see, I'm deaf... And although I lip-read, with my vision blurred, there was no way I could have made out everything my nurse uttered. And yet I heard every word, getting just the comfort I needed. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yes. Well, my story is about Julia and pretzel. Um, So in 2004, Julia Dupree was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She was just six years old. So her body was unable to produce its own insulin and making it hard to control her blood sugar. And I think we all know that that can be fatal if it's not taken care of. Um, So Julia went on in her life. And then when she became a young college student, she was actually put on a waiting list for a diabetic alert dog. And after two years, she actually got her dog. Yep, she was able to adopt her new service dog through CARES. And we'll put some information in the show notes on um, how to go and look that up. But anyway, 14-month-old Pretzel was trained to alert Dupree when her blood sugar levels are dangerously low or high. They're trained by scent and are amazingly able to detect glucose levels by scents that come from the um, owner's breath and palms. So when Pretzel smells a sweet or fruity scent, it means that Dupree's levels are high. And when he smells a sweaty scent, it means that they are low. Oh, my word. When, yep. When either of these happen, Pretzel will either stare at Dupree or bark at her to alert her. And before having Pretzel, Dupree um, kept track of her levels with a device in her leg called a Dexcom. Unfortunately, the device wasn't always very accurate, so that caused a lot of anxiety for her. But now that she has Pretzel, um, she says she has a new sense of freedom, and she's able to move into a college dorm room and not have to worry about fainting or sleeping through an alert. So not only is Pretzel a lifeline for Dupree, but she also ha- is her best friend. She sleeps with Dupree every night and always keeps her company. Oh, my word. Amazing. That's Animals awesome. are amazing. Animals are awesome. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, we've given you a little taste, a little <laughs> teaser on what we're talking about. Who could, yes. I be? <laughs> Who could it be? <laughs> so we would like to introduce to you Cody Sue Bartholomew. Um, Cody Sue comes to us and she is a nurse extraordinaire and she has tremendous um, training and personal experience with diabetes. And so I'd like to turn it over to you, Cody. Give us a little bio. Tell us about you. Thanks again, (laughs) Julie. So yes, my name is Cody Bartholomew and I am a nurse. Um, I have been a nurse for 14 years um, this year. And I, as nurses can do, have done a lot of different things as a nurse. Um, I've been an acute care nurse. I've worked in an ambulatory setting. Um, I have been a nursing leader. Um, But one of my favorite nursing things that I've done and continue to do no matter what my job role is, is be a diabetes educator. And uh, the reason I like that so much is because I, too, have type 1 diabetes, and um, I have been diabetic since I was seven years old. Um, But I love connecting with people and teaching them about diabetes and um, just helping them navigate the challenges. Mm -hmm. Well, and you've been here before. You did a training for us for our caregivers, and I was really impressed with it because you you do bring that personal experience to it, and you're very um, practical and 
you have like the, the real human touch to it versus just what you read or learn in a book. And that that's something, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we wanted to ask you on to our podcast today to talk to us about that. So tell us a little bit, there are different types of diabetes, type one, type two. Can you ta- walk us through what those are? Yeah. So I won't go in numerical order. I'm sure. going to start with type two because that is the type of diabetes that most people have mm-hmm. and what most people think about mm-hmm. um, when they think about diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a metabolic condition. And um, the definition of type 2 diabetes is that your body just doesn't make enough insulin or isn't able to use the insulin that it does make efficiently enough to keep your blood sugars in um, normal range. Mm -hmm. Um, It's often associated with um, obesity or older age. And it just, because the, the bigger we are, the more places basically the insulin has to go to take care of us. And sometimes our bodies just cannot um, get to all get the insulin to all the places that it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Type 2 diabetes can be managed with uh, diet and exercise, usually at least initially, not mm-hmm. always. Oftentimes it does um, require pharmaceutical intervention, so oral medications and oftentimes insulin at some point as well. But um, most of the, the funny memes you see about diabetes or, you know, like if you eat all that sugar, you're going to get diabetes, all of that stuff that's usually associated with type 2 diabetes, um, which is not true. You're not going to get diabetes from eating too much sugar, by the way. <laughs> um, type 1 diabetes is actually an autoimmune condition. So oh. type 1 diabetes is caused when your body basically attacks itself and your pancreas stops producing insulin. So insulin is made in the beta cells in the islets of Langerhan in your pancreas, if you want some big um, (laughs) vocabulary words for today. Um, And they they don't know all of the causes. They think it's usually triggered by some viral illness. And that viral illness um, kills those beta cells and it quits producing insulin. So wow. who cares if you quit producing insulin, what happens? Well, insulin, I tell people, is like a key. And it's the key that lets all of the energy we get from the food we eat into our cells so we can use it. If you don't have any insulin, you could eat the best, most nutritious food in all the world, and you'll starve to death because it can never get into your cells. Insulin is what is able to get it in there. Mm. If we don't have insulin and it can't get in our cells, all the glucose that... Um, is from our food just hangs out in our bloodstream because it can't get to where we need it for energy and it raises our blood sugar. Mm. So um, again, type one is caused by some autoimmune condition. Lots of times people with type one diabetes have additional autoimmune conditions as well. Wow. I did not know it was autoimmune. Yeah. And can that happen at any age? Yes. And so Type 1 diabetes sometimes is called juvenile diabetes because often it presents during childhood, mm-hmm. um, but it can it can occur at any age. I've had many patients that were diagnosed in their 50s or even later, 40s, 30s. I mean, at really at any age with type 1 diabetes, sometimes, unfortunately, because we just always attribute type 2 diabetes to adulthood and type 1 diabetes to adolescence. People are misdiagnosed initially oh. with type 2 diabetes if they develop it um, in adulthood. Wow. So how do th- how is it determined whether it's type 1 or type 2? So the need the need for insulin. So if you are initially diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they they will probably put you on some oral medications and mm-hmm. if that's not able to control your your blood sugar, oftentimes if you have to resort right to insulin, um there's also lab tests that they can do. Okay. Um 
to look for certain antibodies that are sure. produced when you have um, type one diabetes. But usually, it's it's kind of how it's treated. And and like look at the the onset and and blood sugar levels. If your blood sugars are really really high when you're diagnosed and um, you know, basic interventions are not lowering them at all. It's because you don't have any insulin there. Wow. Talk to us about signs and symptoms. Yeah. So signs and symptoms of type one and type two diabetes are the same because they're all caused by elevated blood sugars. They're usually more extreme in type one diabetes and that usually the onset is faster. So, um, some of the, the classic symptoms that you'll hear about is increased thirst and hunger. And that's, um, the hunger is because like I said, if you don't have enough insulin, you're literally starving to death. Mm. So pe- kids or adults that are diagnosed with diabetes are just famished. Like it doesn't matter how much they eat, they just are always feeling hungry because their body's not able to get that energy that we're craving mm-hmm. when we want food. Um, and because you have all this extra glucose in your bloodstream, your body is trying to get rid of it mm-hmm. super, uh, the best that it can. There's really very little things that our bodies can do to get rid of glucose besides insulin. But our kidneys start processing it and we pee it out. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of glucose you can lose in your urine. So people have to pee all the time Mm. when they have diabetes and then they become dehydrated and they're have like this unquenchable thirst. Um, so frequent urination, um, and increased hunger and thirst also lethargy. So you're, they're super tired because they don't have any energy in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're like, sleepy you know kids might be sleeping on a desk just don't feel like getting up just really don't feel good um wounds that won't heal sometimes kind of are uh, a sign of diabetes and that's usually in type 2 um because type 1 is such a, a fast onset that you're not usually going to get like poor wound healing right it could occur but the reason is again because your body doesn't have the energy that it needs to help heal those wounds and also you have all this additional glucose in your bloodstream so um infections or wounds are just thriving off mm. of that additional glucose that you have in your bloodstream and so it just kind of festers those wounds mm. and they're not able to heal wow so is that where you've seen um i've heard of people losing their toes or mm-hmm. their so limbs. that that's caught the so people losing their toes or limbs related to diabetes is um, usually a complication of high blood sugar over a long period of time. And so when our, we have all this extra glucose in our blood over a long period of time, it hurts our vascular system. So all of our teeny tiny blood vessels, Mm -hmm. they're kind of eroded. I explain it to people like it's like the salt on the roads when winter does come and we have to salt the roads, (laughs) um, (laughs) that eats the bottom of our cars, um, and and all of our stuff. It's the extra sugar in your blood is kind of like that to your vascular system. And so a lot of complications, long-term complications of diabetes are all because of that. So people lose vision because we have teeny tiny vasculature in our eyeballs and they lose circulation and blood flow to their extremities Mm -hmm. because those are teeny tiny blood vessels. It affects the blood vessels in our kidneys and our heart. Um, So a lot of those complications of diabetes, I mean, almost all the complications of diabetes are related to our vasculature system and damage to it. Talk about neuropathy. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's it's caused by the same thing. So mm-hmm. if we're not getting adequate blood supply to our extremities, it, it starts to damage mm-hmm. um, those vessels. And so we can't feel our fingers or our toes um, because we don't have adequate blood supply. Wow. So if somebody 
thinks they've got diabetes. You know, somebody's like, oh, I've just been feeling uh, so thirsty. So, um, or I've been getting dizzy. I, you know, when I eat sugar, I, I get a, a rush or whatever. What would you, how would you, how do you go get checked? Who should you talk to? Always your primary care provider. So we all should have a primary care provider. Here's my nurse plug. <laughs> and we all should be seen by them at least once a year if we don't have any health conditions. And we all should have yearly labs. So if we had something like that that came on suddenly, definitely go see our primary care provider. If you don't have one, you should get one, but you could go to like a walk-in clinic or something mm-hmm. and let them know what your symptoms are. But they should always do yearly labs. One um, lab that we check a lot for patients with diabetes is a hemoglobin A1C and that measures your blood sugar um, over about a three-month time period and the reason we can do that is because our red blood cells live for about three months so you can look at your red blood cells and see an average of how many glucose molecules are connected to all those red blood cells and you can get an average blood sugar over a three-month period but that's a lab that even if you don't have diabetes you know as we get into adulthood um, or if we have other risk factors that should be checked yearly like if we can see that it's becoming a little higher um, then we can you know intervene faster to prevent you know maybe the onset of type 2 diabetes but what they would do is you know if you came in with those symptoms they would just do a a basic blood glucose check to see where you're at um, and then do a hemoglobin A1c if your blood sugar is a little elevated but your A1c is fine you're in a normal range maybe it's something else but if your A1c is elevated that means this has probably been going on for some time. So when you talk about over a three month period, is it, is it just one test that is able to yep. read? So, the yep. It, it re- gives you an average blood sugar over about three months. Okay. And it's kind of like a, um, I, it's maybe not the best indicator of actual blood sugar control because it's just an average. So right. think of math An average, like my average might be real good, but I have like some really, really high blood sugars <laughs> and some really, really low right. blood sugars. It's kind of the gold standard. Um, but actually what we should watch with people, uh, with diabetes is time and range. Mm -hmm. Um, like how often are you actually in that normal range for blood sugars? But an A1C is just an easy check and it, and it is something that, you know, insurance companies want to know what your A1C is. It's a risk evaluator. I've always heard of of that, but I really never understood what it was. Well, now you know. Yes, I do. (laughs) Thank you. How, how often do you see, um, situations where, maybe a child ends up in the emergency room and it's like, you know, way beyond either super, super high, super low, and they don't know. Yeah, so if their blood sugar is really low, the only way your blood sugar can get super low is if you have insulin. So um, somebody should not have, I mean, I guess I should say, if you have diabetes and your blood sugar is super low, it's probably related to insulin. Are there other conditions that could cause hypoglycemia? Yes, but they're not very common. Sure, okay. Um, But... Most kids are diagnosed like it's an ER visit or a a doctor visit and often require hospitalization. Right. So what happens is when your blood sugar gets really low and you don't have any energy to feed your body, your body starts breaking down protein Mm -hmm. to fuel itself. And um, that causes our body to produce acid, breaking down that protein. And it leads to what's called diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, and then it throws off our whole metabolic system and can cause brain damage or death if not um, addressed. addressed. Uh, wow. Wow. So in, in a perfect world, what is just one of the most simplest things that you'd like everybody to know that um, you could just, if, it, if you had a nugget of information to oh. share, 
one of the biggest things to know about diabetes is once you're diagnosed, it is a lifelong condition. It is. It never goes away. You can't cure it. And basically, it's just like a crazy math game that you never get the right answer to. Um, It's not as easy as just not eating a cookie and going for a walk. And I think you know, the misconception mm-hmm. is that people, first of all, that do it to themselves, like it's their fault that they have diabetes. And if they would just not eat cookies and walk more, then they right. would be fine. And that's not the truth. Right. It's a, it's a very, very complex disease to manage and you don't get day off yeah. or are, an hour. <laughs> are, are we seeing more and more of it or yes, what's we the are. trend? So type two diabetes, um, there's an increase nationally, in type 2 diabetes, really in the U.S., they attribute it kind of to our lifestyle. So um, it is associated with diabetes and, and other metabolic things. And we just, as as citizens in the U.S., eat a lot of things that maybe aren't the best for us. And not that you can't eat those things. It's just everything in moderation, mm-hmm. right? And we're kind of inactive as a, as a culture. And mm-hmm. we like to sit on our phones and look at Facebook. And our kids play video games. And we just don't get out and move in other in other countries where that some of those things aren't as common Mm -hmm. they have lower incidence there is also an increased incidence in type 1 diabetes and I haven't seen any uh, recent literature to to explain why we know that the incidence is going up with kids developing type 1 diabetes um but we just don't don't know know. why yeah is it hereditary yes so type 2 diabetes does have some um genetic tendencies and type 1 diabetes does too the the hereditary components aren't as strongly connected in type 1 diabetes but there's definitely some um connectivity and there's there are lots of studies out there there's this cool study called trial net that um patients who have um so if you have a first degree family member with type 1 diabetes you can be screened Mm -hmm. and what they're looking for is development of those antibodies that I talked about that they can to Mm -hmm. identify type 1 diabetes like you, those can be identified early and sometimes they can, um, you know, they have trial interventions that they can do. Like Mm -hmm. if you show that you are at a higher risk for developing it, then they can institute interventions to help, um, prevent that or slow down the, um, onset. Wow. Um, So we, um, obviously deal with the elderly. So please talk to us about how we can be, make sure that we're helping them, you know, and then what things happen to make it harder even as we age to make sure we're, we're giving ourselves the right dosage, all of that. Yeah. So I, um, I would say one of the biggest things is just always making sure that the people that are around your patients with diabetes know that they have diabetes. So when our blood sugar's high, we're lethargic and, you know, we don't have enough energy and, and it hurts our vasculature system. But when our blood sugar's low, when we have too much insulin or had too much medication or didn't eat enough food, that is an immediate like it can be an emergency. Mm-hmm. So our brains have to have glucose to function. Our brains don't function without glucose. And if you don't have enough glucose or sugar, you can die fairly quickly. Um, so it's really, really, really important that people know that somebody has diabetes and they know the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. Um, and because glucose affects our brain, all of the symptoms of low blood sugar or hyperglycemia are all kind of related to our brain. So our reaction times slow down. Sometimes we slur our words. Maybe our coordination is impaired. Um, maybe we're really irritable or emotional. Um, just, but 
those things can happen for a lot of reasons, Mm -hmm. right? And especially in the elderly, like their cognition might be impaired because they have some other um, comorbidity or condition and their mobility might be limited for some other reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really important to, you know, if we know these patients and and we spend a lot of time with them, if there's like a a change that you can notice, even if it's subtle, you know, to at least check Mm -hmm. to make sure that their blood sugars aren't low. I always tell people, so people get afraid, like, if what if their blood sugar is not low and I gave them sugar and now it's high? Well, high blood sugar over a long period of time is dangerous, but low blood sugar is more dangerous than the immediate. You're not going to kill somebody by giving them some sugar or intervening if you think their blood sugar is low, if it's not. But if you don't intervene, something really bad could happen. Oh, yeah. One time I called my dad, um, and mother had gone to see my sister for the weekend, and I called dad, and I was just yakking at him, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, hey talk to me. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. And he was very lethargic, very slow. It took him a long time to get, and it um, ended up being more of the hypo Mm -hmm. glycemia. And thankfully, um, my aunt Carol was able to go over there and and do everything she needed to do. Um, But boy, it it, it acted almost like a stroke. Exactly. And sometimes, so I will like, any EMS personnel um, is very well versed in this. And if they show up and suspect somebody's having a stroke, they always check their blood sugar first because the symptoms are very, very similar. I've had some episodes in my life where my whole left side has gone numb. Oh, wow. So like flaccid, can't move my left side because my blood sugar was dangerously low. But if that was an adult, like they would have totally thought I had a stroke. Like, you know, droopy face, all, all of the things that we think about really? that are so, and it, it, because a stroke affects our brain. Right. And so does low blood sugar. So, so that's, vascular. yep. Huh. Are you the one that was talking about the gummy bears? No. Well, I, having gummy bears, like if someone has diabetes, oh. just having them like close by yeah. in, in case of the low blood sugar. Yeah. And I guess I would say that. So, you know, for your caregivers always know where there's something that they can help treat Mm -hmm. that low blood sugar if people are having significant low blood sugar and they're cognitively impaired sometimes it's hard for them to swallow I was wondering so I like fruity candy I always carry it because it's something that doesn't like melt or really like you know you Mm -hmm. can eat a gummy bear that's a little bit old it's kind of more chewy but (laughs) it still gives you the the intended you can can get it done yeah (laughs) um but if it's like a chocolate bar or like carrying cans of juice around I've done that like accidentally stabbed them with a pencil and they've exploded (laughs) in my purse you know like all those things so I prefer like fruity candy gummy bears fruit snacks that's those are kind of my low blood sugar food that I can eat if they get cold you can eat them if they get hot you can eat (laughs) them all the things but if you can't swallow well Mm -hmm. you can choke right if um you try to eat a gummy bear right so what you should always have available is some rapid form of sugar so honey is really good oh frosting in a tube is really good something that they're not likely to aspirate on right um but you can get them sugar really quick Mm. there's also um emergency like injectables to treat low blood sugar so glucagon Mm -hmm. um and anybody that has diabetes and takes insulin really should have glucagon available the thing about glucagon as a treatment is you're never probably going to give it to yourself like you're going to need you're going to need help because if you're in that place that you can't eat something someone's going to be giving it to you yes but have the people that are around you know how to use it. Right. I, not too far back, I was trying to remember if I had a current prescription for, like, they, glucagon also expires. I will tell you, if you find expired glucagon, it's still going to help. It might not help with the same effect, but you could still use it. Anyways, I asked my husband, I said, where's my glucagon? 
like, is it current? He's like, you don't need to know where it's at. I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess you're right because like, I'm never going to give it to myself, but I do go to the pharmacy. Um, <laughs> he was like, it doesn't matter where it is, Cody. You, you don't need to know. And I was like, as long as I know. Yep. He knows. He knew. I think he was afraid I was going to move it somewhere and put it safe, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. And so that you would, everyone would remember and then yeah, you can right. never find it again. <laughs> Done that. Oh. So anyways. Uh, having those things around are really important. But if you have diabetes, and especially if you take insulin, because that's what's going to um, dangerously lower our blood sugar, you mm-hmm. should always have some rapid cool. source of carbohydrates around. And really, it can be any carbohydrates. You could eat a sleeve of saltine crackers. A sleeve is way too many to fix <laughs> your blood sugar. But when it's really low, you get like this panic feeling and you probably will eat a sleeve. Right. Um, it can be any source of carbs. It doesn't actually have to be sugar. So okay. anything that has carbohydrates. If you add fat or protein to the carbohydrates, it's just going to take longer for that sugar to process. Mm. And so you'll feel low longer, but it'll still fix you in the end. Wow. So what is it with, um, is everybody different, but some people, you know, she has to check her, her levels three times a day. She has to give herself injections twice a day. Um, What's standard now? Yeah, really it, it, it is very, very individualized, and it depends on treatment plans. So when I was first diagnosed in 1991, mm-hmm. um, there, was, there was limited treatment options for type 1 diabetes, like only, you know, regular and NPH insulin. I took um, pork insulin, so insulin that came from pigs when I was a kid. We've Technology has improved <laughs> a tremendous amount. Um, and it, I no longer have to take animal-derived uh, <laughs> medications, but... Um, there are so many unique treatment options okay. that really it depends on each patient. Okay. And um, maybe they just take oral medications and maybe their A1C is decent, so they just want to check once a day. And it's it's totally up to patients and their providers. I would say one thing to kind of highlight, if somebody has diabetes, they really need to have frequent you know, interactions with a provider it, because it changes. So you might have a regimen that works perfect or an insulin dose that works perfect or whatever you're doing that works perfect and it lasts for a long time and then all of a sudden it's not working anymore. That's totally normal. It's really irritating. So you just can't <laughs> but assume that. It's just ever evolving. Right. Like, I mean, okay. and and I think that's the other misconception, right? Like, you know, grandpa's been doing so good with his diabetes for 10 years, but all of a sudden he must be like sneaking cookies because his blood sugar is high all the time. Pro- I mean, maybe he is, but maybe not. Maybe he just needs his treatment adjusted. And that's why it's so important mm-hmm. that people are always seeing a provider like, or a diabetes educator going over some of those things. Like, if, so if you haven't made any changes to your eating habits or your exercise habits or what you're doing and your blood sugars aren't in range, then so, yeah. maybe you need more medication or maybe you're going low all the time. Like maybe you're doing the exact same thing, but suddenly you're having all these low blood sugars. Those are dangerous. Like maybe we need to change your treatment plan. Sometimes like mm-hmm. medications don't work for people after a certain amount of time. Interesting. I think one of the things that we actually see when we're doing home visits and such um, and getting to people's houses is um, the word very often is non-compliance. Yeah, I don't like that word. Yeah. Yeah. A- and maybe they aren't compliant with, with what has been told to them, uh-huh. but maybe it's because they're poorly educated or it's just really hard and they need yeah. more help. Right. Maybe math isn't their strong suit and we're asking them to do calculations. Uh-oh. Inga, you're going to help me. <laughs> 
or maybe yes, I will help you. <laughs> or maybe they have some dexterity issues and they can't draw up something or change their lancet. Or maybe we don't we haven't given them like a, a good type of lancing device, so it hurts like heck every time they test their blood sugar and oh. they don't want to. See, um, or maybe. I, I would be non-compliant then if yeah. it hurts every <laughs> single time. And I think that's why it's really important for patients to have good relationships with their providers. Yeah. And I don't like when providers say non-compliant either because, yeah. and some people just are like, you know, it doesn't matter what is wrong with yeah. what right. kind of condition Whatever we have. Some disease. people just don't follow their treatment plans. Right. But I think usually when you spend time with those people and ask why y- you can learn a lot of things and help them mm-hmm. make better choices. And right. like if, they're non-compliant because they always just eat way too many carbs. Like maybe we just need to adjust their medication. So their medication covers their carbs. Right. Their blood sugar is fine. Like, right. So, it's, so no, I like yeah. that. It's basically looking at the person as an individual and trying to figure out, you know, what, what's working for them, what's not working for them and what are the reasons why yep, right. maybe they're not following that treatment plan. Yep. I always think about, um, going back to like an Alzheimer's or dementia situation where there was a, a lady who she had the, just she had this one sweater that that's all she ever wanted to wear and it drove the family crazy mm-hmm. but why yeah why yes yeah. she's exactly. fine she's yeah anyway there might be reasons that right. we don't yeah like why not if, if they only want to eat a certain food right so okay. see i think that's yeah. my let's, aha let's work mo- with that yep that's my aha moment for this this um meeting that we're having is that if somebody um, is cranky at grandpa because he's eating cookies and he's in non-compliance maybe that's a really great time for us to come in and say hey when's the last time you talked to the doctor or or looked at that and Mm -hmm. and are we where we need to be with all of those medications and and finding the right provider you know like motivational interviewing is what comes to my mind and that's something that I I have done a lot as a diabetes educator it's not just sitting down and like giving them a book and being like these are all the things you need to know about diabetes to take good care of yourself like talk to them about what what's important to them? What are their favorite things to do? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the things that are really hard about this treatment program that they've given us? Maybe it's cost. Diabetes is such an expensive disease, like the out-of-pocket costs for people. Like, maybe they're not compliant because they can't, you know, (laughs) if if they buy their insulin this month, they can't buy their grandkids Christmas presents. And for them, it's not worth it. Like, there are so many things that I've learned in the years talking to people, and cost is often... Mm -hmm. incredible barrier there's all this great tech like technology that we can use to manage diabetes and really great new medications but they're all expensive and especially for people on a fixed income Mm -hmm. and that's really really sad it is that people have to go without or make a choice to go without yeah I mean I remember the other being a, a young you know single mom with type 1 diabetes and like thinking of all the money I would have to spend just to literally buy my insulin and thinking about all my friends with like nicer cars, and I would think like I could have, look, I could have a way bigger car payment if I just didn't have to buy this <laughs> insulin. Like, I mean, like that yeah. sounds kind of self-centered, but like that, like those are the things that our patients are going through for the rest of their lives. Like, yeah. it's not just mm-hmm. like when I was twenty that was a sacrifice I made. It's literally for the Never. rest of my life. What advice would you give to parents um, that have younger children with diabetes, based on your experience? Um, I like involve them in their treatment. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. It doesn't matter our age. Like what, what are the things that are important to us? Mm -hmm. What do those kids hate about having diabetes and what can we do to help that? Maybe we can't Mm -hmm. fix it. Maybe they hate their shots. Well, we have to give them insulin somehow. Maybe they hate their insulin pump. Is there a different pump that they would like more? Maybe they 
hate the low blood sugar food that you always give them because they don't like gummy bears. Like, maybe you pick a different snack to pack them. I mean, like, it just, it, let them be kids and let them do the things that kids are going to do. I think, you know, our understanding of diabetes is is so much more improved than when I was a kid. And Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I remember classroom parties um, and everybody would bring cupcakes or cookies and everyone knew I had diabetes and I would usually get apples <laughs> or Ritz crackers or something else. And I, I felt isolated and like the weird kid and whatever. What I know now is there's the same amount of carbs in an apple and a bunch of Ritz crackers as there was in a cupcake. And I miss a lot of cupcakes. Mm-hmm. And oh. it made me really upset when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, And so I would say, let your kid eat the cupcake and yes, give yeah. them insulin and teach them like, this is what we need to do to manage our diabetes. Well, should we, should any of our kids eat cupcakes every day? No, probably not. Right. But let them be kids. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to go to a pizza party, like pizza is a real hard food for diabetes, like to calculate the right doses for, like figure out whatever works for your kid. And mm-hmm. if it's a 13 year old boy and he's going to eat a whole pizza, just figure out how right. to let him eat a whole pizza or, or he's just going to have a blood sugar of 400 later mm-hmm. or not tell you that he ate the pizza. Right. Um, I have like one kiddo that I, um, worked with for a lot of years, loved Mountain Dew. Like, again, should any of our kids have Mountain Dew? Oh, probably not. But, you know, like, Mm -hmm. he loved Mountain Dew, and he would hide Mountain Dew. He'd get it, and he'd hide it, and he'd drink it, and his blood sugar would be really, really high, and his parents, like, couldn't figure out. He'd come home, and he'd, like, get it out of the soda machine (laughs) at school or whatever. And before his parents got home, he'd drink all the Mountain Dew. Um, Like, talk to them and figure, why why always on Tuesdays is your blood sugar 400 at dinner? Well, it's because I drink Mountain Dew. Right. Um. Like, but, but when it's, it, it's, it's the, when you can't and everyone else mm-hmm. does that it makes it really, really hard. And I mean, honestly, even as an adult, mm-hmm. I work with a bunch of nurses and I can't tell you how many times they're like, oh yeah, sorry, we brought cookies. I know you can't have them. Like the <laughs> I will co- have the cookie. The only cookie I can't have is one with poison in it. Right. Like <laughs> I'll eat a cookie if I want to. Oh. Um, and sometimes is there times that I choose not to eat a cookie because maybe my blood sugar is high and I'm trying to figure out why and there's things mm-hmm. going on. Yes, but I'm an adult yes. um, and I will make those decisions. Thank you. I, right. I don't want you to make them for me. Yeah. So no, I love that so much. Oh, it's, it's so just, awesome. Just talking to the people. And, and like you said, it doesn't matter what the age is, but just having the conversations and trying to work around it so yeah. that people don't feel like they're being deprived of something or I'm not allowed to participate in something and Boy, and like for changed. Yeah. And for kids too, like being embarrassed about mm-hmm. it, like, yeah. and, and only, like, because we have these social stigmas, like you did something, if you got diabetes and it's like somehow bad or whatever, mm-hmm. like tell kids should like let everyone know that they have diabetes. That's what to keep them safe because sure. of all the things that can happen, especially when our blood sugar is low, mm-hmm. everyone you're around on a regular basis should always know you have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Like I tell all the people I work with, mm-hmm. like, if you see me sleeping on the desk, please give me sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, if I bite your head off and you think, wow, that was totally unnecessary, ask me if I need something to eat. I might bite your head off again and tell you <laughs> no, but I'll probably go in my office and eat some crackers and then apologize <laughs> later. Um, it's really, really, really important, and especially for, like, teens and preteens. Like, mm-hmm. so many dangerous things can happen if somebody doesn't know to Mm -hmm. intervene and if they feel accepted and their peers know about it they will look out for them oh absolutely and they'll and they'll feel more included and if they can hang out with them and eat the pizza and they just have to take some insulin then they're everyone's going to be better off yes 
And it teaches the other kids, like, to, you know, about other health conditions. And maybe those kids yeah. can teach them and, you know, they don't post the same silly memes about mm. diabetes. Yeah. The wrong. Yeah. They're wrong. Correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. wow. Wow. So a lot has changed from when you were a kiddo yes. until now. You just actually showed us on your phone yes. how you could check your blood pressure. Or blood pressure. Your <laughs> blood sugar. Blood sugar. Yeah. So I also, like... For the, for the YouTubers, here's my uh, <laughs> continuous glucose monitor here on my phone. And I, I think that's probably one of the best things in the last 30 years um, of having diabetes is just the technology. Wow. And um, when I was a kid, I took multiple injections every day, and I had a really regimented food program, and um, I had to check my blood sugar all the time. And really, when you check your blood sugar, it's that's just a moment in time. Mm-hmm. So if my blood sugar is great right now, it's 100. That's what we always see in the commercials, right? When they show all the diabetes things, I've never seen a commercial that doesn't have anything but an in-range blood sugar. Right. <laughs> so there you go. That's a misconception. Like, people <laughs> that have type 1 diabetes and where the Dexcoms, like in your thing, mm-hmm. like, their blood sugars are not always in range. Right. It just, it doesn't happen. Right. But um, <laughs> when I was a kid, like, it, so it's a moment in time. So if you check your blood sugar and it's 100, that's perfect blood sugar. And you might just go on with your day. Well, maybe it's 100, but it's like rapidly going up because you just ate lunch and you didn't cover with enough insulin. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's 100 and rapidly going down and your blood sugar is going to be low soon and you're going to need an intervention for that. So mm-hmm. continuous glucose monitors, check your blood sugar every five minutes and it's sent to some sort of device. So you can really manage manage your mm-hmm. blood sugars and kind of like you know see trends what happens when I eat this food does it like do I actually need more insulin than I think mm-hmm. I do do I need less huh. do I know that two hours later after I do this that I'm always lower I'm always high when we're just checking our blood sugar at set times a day or right. when we don't feel good like we always tell patients you know who don't have the continuous glucose technology like if you feel like your blood sugar is higher low check it but again like so they check and it's 300. Is it 300, but now it's starting to go down? You've just taken insulin to correct it? Or is it 300 and still going up, so you need more? Like, Or maybe it's just 300 and staying there. Um, the, the technology is amazing and the things that you can do with it. Wow. Um, also, insulin pumps, that's another piece of technology that I have. And um, they just kind of let us micromanage our insulin doses. Mm-hmm especially for kiddos or somebody um, who's insulin sensitive, like a unit of insulin, which is how we measure insulin in syringes, that actually, I mean, so for me personally, at this point in my life, it changes. But for me, one unit of insulin lowers my blood sugar 70 points. Oh, Oh, wow. Goodness. So that's a lot. Yeah. Um, That's a lot of food. And if my blood sugar is 100 and I took one unit of insulin, well, that's like really significantly low. For somebody else, one unit of insulin might only lower their blood sugar 20 milligrams per deciliter. Mm-hmm. So, like, just having that, being able to change it and control it mm-hmm. um, certain times of day, like, I tend, carbs affect me a little bit different. So, pumps, they're little mini computers. You still have to control them and tell them what to do, but they just allow you to just much more tightly manage your diabetes and, and more conveniently, too. So, I'm not always having to get out a syringe or a pen and poke right. myself. I just poke some buttons. And then it it does it for you. It does it for me. So on the monitor, like that continuous, does it send you an alert or some? Yes. And that's the other great thing about diabetes technology. So you can set your alerts to tell you when you're too high or too low. And you get to pick the ranges. So it's up to mm-hmm. you. Um, if it's low, you or you can have any alert also sent to other people. So mm-hmm. for parents, mm-hmm. 
really great. They can see their kids' blood sugar all the time. And, you know, if they have to intervene immediately, they can. Really great. Um, or for your other loved one. So I, I don't alert my husband whenever my blood sugar is high or a little bit low. But if my blood sugar is less than 55, which is pretty low, sure, my husband's phone beeps. And so usually he just texts me and I send him a picture of gummy bears and <laughs> then he knows I'm okay. Oh. We go back and look at my messages with my husband. Like every couple days, there's a picture of some fruit candy wrapper. <laughs> um, oh. But what, what if I'm sleeping yeah. and I don't wake up? Or what if I'm at work and I'm sleeping on my desk and nobody knows I'm there and, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, it's, it's really, really great to have somebody that can help intervene. Sure. And for parents, so awesome. I think that's really, really huge. But what if it's our elderly parents and their blood sugar is really low? Like if, you, if somebody can get an alert to go help yeah, them absolutely. and give them. Yeah. Huh. That's amazing. Something that's, it's really important or really high. I mean, it could be the same thing. So you can really kind of set the alerts up to personalize whatever mm. is best for you. Wow. Wow. There is so much information that you can just, we could just talk all day long. This is just amazing. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to share that um, is top of mind or? No, I just like, I know we talked about this a little, but like the holidays. So as a kid, again, because I never got cupcakes in class, the holiday parties always kind of sucked too, because Mm -hmm. we'd like decorate sugar cookies and everyone ate theirs and I took mine home and ate them on the bus when nobody was looking. <laughs> but um, like I just let let people participate. Like this is something they have to deal with every single day of their life. So if you're at your Christmas dinner with your parent or your grandparent or your cousin or your whoever who has diabetes, like don't be the diabetes police. Right. Um, help them if they need it, if they ask for help, if they're struggling, if they ask you to be an accountability person, be their person. Um, but don't try to micromanage the things that bring them joy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. That I think yeah. that would be my, my biggest thing to say, especially around the holidays. Cause it just seems like it's about food and being around people mm-hmm. and, you know, beverages and all those other things. I think another tidbit I could add is, you know, alcohol also affects our blood sugar. And so we have to, that's another thing to be careful about, you know, for the holiday parties and why it's important for people to know you have diabetes, mm-hmm. um, having low blood sugar, mimics the the same um things as being intoxicated um and so did your uncle drink too much uh or does he just need a gummy bear or (laughs) yeah or is his blood sugar low and so just having people around you that can kind of help sure navigate Mm -hmm. that with you is is really really important um especially around the holidays when we're all enjoying and all the festivities (laughs) wow wow Wow, so much information i've that was huge. Yeah, I, and that was so you spent great. like a couple I, hours with oh. us a couple years ago, and I, every time I talk to you, I just learn so much more. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I love it's, it, I, I love talking about yes. It and teaching you you things. are definitely an educator. So, do you work with people that are like like what is the age range of people that you work with? So, I I currently am not working actually as a diabetes oh, educator okay. in my job, but um because it affects people of all ages, I have worked with, I mean, I think my youngest patient that I can remember like working with was a little over a year um, when he was diagnosed wow. and working with that family, but patients well into their nineties yeah. um, that are alive and well with yep. diabetes. Yep. So um, it doesn't matter your age, everybody, yep. you know, men, women, children, all ethnicities. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you're from diabetes can affect you. Yep. Wow. wow. It's just cool to hear from you that it is for the most part, pretty manageable. Yeah, it is. And it, it's a lifelong 
condition and, mm-hmm. and you, you have to be on top of it and it's frustrating, but it, it's, especially now we have, we have so many options. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely something that is, it just makes you stronger and gives you yep. a different perspective. Yep. I love it. So do you have, um, can you talk to us about like prevention things that, that people can do? Yeah. So the only type of diabetes that we can prevent is type two diabetes. And like I said before, because it's a metabolic condition, living a healthy lifestyle can, can really help reduce the risk factors of developing type two diabetes. So, um, that's, you know, trying to follow a healthy diet Mm -hmm. and, and exercise, Mm -hmm. um, just being active and getting moving like that, that helps our metabolism. We all know that. So that's really the biggest prevention strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, I I tell people this all the time, like the things that we teach people how to manage their diabetes, doesn't matter what kind it is. Mm -hmm. Like it's really about food and activity and lifestyle though. It's things that all of us would be healthier if we followed, right? Right. Like even if we don't have diabetes, like all the things that I talk to patients about, about managing their diabetes, we'd all be better off if we were able to follow it, but it's, sure. you know, it's not easy. Like, right. <laughs> it's just not easy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's just the biggest prevention strategy. And if you, you know, if you know you have a predisposition, like if it's in your family or at a higher risk, then maybe you have to try a little bit harder mm-hmm. to prevent that. So just being aware of, um, your risk factors. Mm-hmm. If I didn't really talk about this with gestational diabetes is another type of diabetes that develops in pregnancy. Um, if you develop, gestational diabetes during a pregnancy, you're much higher risk of developing type two diabetes later in life. So, um, just, just knowing that Mm -hmm. and, and working to prevent that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, super, super information. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up and you have a pretty good grandma saying. I do have a grandma (laughs) saying. So this is from, um, grandma Ruth, my husband's, um, grandmother. And um, she always says, the good Lord will and in the creek don't rise. <laughs> I love it. Yes, good job, so Grandma Ruth. <laughs> so good. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Cody. Thank you so much for being here with us. We always learn so much and just enjoy your company. Thank you. um, we're going to go ahead and sign off. But if you are out there listening, um, please make sure that you subscribe. You can do that on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can go and watch all of this on YouTube. Um, please leave us a review, share us with a friend. You can join our Apaga Care and Share Facebook group. And yeah, send us send us your verses, send us your uplifting stories. Those can be sent to the caregivenpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's going to wrap it up for the day. So peace out, Girl Scouts. Yep. Have a super day. The caregiven name is a registered trademark of the Veritrust Health Incorporated Company. Epaga is not connected to, affiliated with, or endorsed by Veritrust or any of its affiliates. 